Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hello. Welcome back, everyone. We are so excited to have Dr. Karen Wilson on our podcast because we just have so many questions for you, Dr. Wilson. (laughs) Can you kind of give a little bit of a background to our listeners about what type of doctor you are and your practice? Absolutely. So I am a clinical neuropsychologist and I specialize in pediatric assessments, which means I do evaluations of kids usually from as early as age four, which is usually a screening all the way up to young adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I do evaluations of kids where there's, they suspect that they're struggling in some way. There might be a neurodevelopmental disorder. They mm-hmm. often don't know what it is, what's mm-hmm. going on, but they want to find out why is this child struggling? Is it attention? Is it executive functioning? Is it just, you know, inappropriate instruction? And so they send them to me to figure all that out. And I do a comprehensive assessment, a neuropsychological assessment, where we evaluate a number of different areas that impact learning and impact the child's daily functioning. And then I come up with, you know, the reason for the struggle a child is experiencing and then a plan, put a plan in place and that the parents can implement at home and a plan that can be implemented at school to help the child be more successful. And that's what we love is a two-in-one because a lot of neuropsychologists just kind of do the medical side and it's wonderful. It's wonderful information, but we also need that bridge of, you know, how does this relate because there's not a neuropsychologist at the school level. And although we've talked to neuropsychologists in the past, like we like that intersection that you had of not only a plan at home, but like how you would, you know, move forward with a school educational plan. And that's just based on your connections with like different schools that and how we got connected just like inadvertently. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and parents come in for different reasons. They might mm-hmm. be referred by the school. Yeah. They might come in be referred by their pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Most of our parents are referred by other parents who've said, oh, I had the same issue with my kid right. and I got them assessed and now I understand and mm-hmm. can better support him. Yep. And so, and that's the whole purpose of what we do in my practice is that it's not enough to come up with a diagnosis. It's like, well, then what do you do with that? <laughs> right. Know? Right. That's not just going to be, you know, opening doors and addressing the area of struggle just to have the diagnosis. That is a step to getting the support that a child needs. Right. Especially when we get, we see kiddos who, especially in the younger grades, they're doing okay. They're doing Mm -hmm. in some areas. And like, I hear people say it all the time of like, and teachers sometimes too, of like, well, they're doing fine. They're not the worst in the class. They're not the best in the class. Or, you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't the best at school. And so it's just fine. And it's like, especially in the younger years, it's so important because just because they're compensating now doesn't mean they're going to be able to do it later. And why not give them the tools to be as successful as they can? Right. And that's so key, Amanda, is that, what you're describing is that rationalization, you know, parents do it, teachers do it. They're like, Oh, you know, let's just wait a little longer. He's a boy. Mm-hmm. She'll grow out mm-hmm. of it. He's just shy. 
and then we delay delivering yep. appropriate intervention for these mm-hmm. kids, which can be life changing for so many of them because they struggle needlessly. And and oftentimes, like you're describing, these compensatory mechanisms where they're working, you know, 10 times as hard to get something mm-hmm. done, where if we had addressed the issue early on and given them the tools that they need, then they wouldn't have to work as hard and they would then enjoy the learning process much more. Absolutely. And when they're using other parts of their brain because one is delayed or there's a deficit or whatnot, it just the burnout and we'll see it, right? We'll get that twice exceptional student in high school that, you know, has these like deep seated learning problems, but they Mm -hmm. were able to because of the other parts of their brain overcompensate for that one part that wasn't doing, you know, the job it needed to do. But then they're a junior and they just, they want to drop out. They're suicidal. They're depressed. They're anxious. And it's just like, you know, there is that line between it being very medically based. But I think what we enjoy about your work is the connections that you're able to make. Because a lot of neuropsychologists are like, here you go, this is what it is. And like the diagnosis brings more questions. And when you don't have somebody at the school district that's able to answer those questions and or really understand it or just say, well, that's medical and we don't have to deal with that. That's Mm -hmm. where we get really frustrated (laughs) because we're not neuropsychologists. We can't interpret it, but that's what makes it useful. So when you have a parent come to you and it's like a parent referral, is it typically because they're seeing issues in school or it's just, it's a very, you know, there's varying reasons. It can vary. It can be, you know, the teachers say that they're doing okay, mm-hmm. but when they're sitting down to do homework, for example, mm-hmm. the teachers say, this is a 30 minute homework assignment, okay, yeah. but it's taking my kid an hour and a half to okay. do that work. Or mm-hmm. I need to sit with him to get it done. And I need to provide more prompting than I think that I should. Okay. So it's like a red flag that something might be going on that I need to address. How early on do you see, I know you see a range of people and we get this question and it's just like, it varies, but like, do you, (laughs) um, for a while we could say, you know, well, they're learning to read in third grade and that's the first signs of dyslexia, you know, and, you know, if we try to catch it then, you know, the rate of being able to remediate quicker is better or, or have you found like it really just, I mean, it just, the red flags can come up at any time. Yeah, they can come at any time. And again, some kids are better at compensating than others because, you know, what we do is we assess for a a profile, a neurocognitive or a Mm. cognitive profile. So kids will have different strengths and weaknesses. And for some kids, those strengths will be so strong that you don't even recognize their weaknesses until those academic demands start to increase and they can't reach those. And other kids where they may not have strengths in those areas that they can help them compensate, you'll see the difficulties more readily, Yeah. right? And so it really depends and it depends too on where the struggle lies. You know, you mentioned reading. Well, you're not going to test a four-year-old for reading or a five-year-old because they haven't been exposed to it Mm -hmm. yet, right? It's not Mm -hmm. like language where you learn by listening to things, reading has to be, you know, taught in order to develop that skill. So you have to wait until it's been introduced in order to determine whether or not there's a deficit in reading. And so kindergarten, though, late kindergarten, you can tell if kids are at risk for a reading disorder, because that's when they're starting to be exposed to those sound symbol associations, which are the building blocks to reading fluently. And so kids who struggle with learning the alphabet, and I'm not talking about the the song because that's different than learning the alphabet, 
kids who struggle with kind of making with rhyming early on yeah with making yeah. those sound symbol associations so by first grade you know the kids who are at risk for struggling with reading or developing a dyslexia so there's no reason for not evaluating and intervening as early as first grade and yeah, we've talked to several speech and language pathologists that, that say that are trying to do a universal screening for kindergartners, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To really be able to catch it as quickly as possible. And we're so supportive of that. But it's just some of these districts just don't want to move past it. Like, and I get it. Like there's yeah. the teachers use their own experiences. And maybe there you did have that one kid that had to grow out of it. But like that kind of mantra, it doesn't work. Like I remember okay. having... Um, a teacher, older teacher, and they were just like, I've never, in the 30 years I've been doing this, I've never had a kid with dyslexia. And I was like, that is not accurate. That is not, not accurate. <laughs> like, you just didn't know. Like, you just didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's, you, you know, know, and our teachers are at the front lines, and it's hard because they're sometimes told top down, like, no, just, it's fine. They'll make it through, mm-hmm. or they get this advice from, like, an older mentor teacher that's just like, no, no, it'll be fine. Like, but it just really does, it does a yeah. disservice to our kiddos. It yeah, does. So we get this question a lot from people who are not in the world of disability rights and education. We get a lot of people saying, you know, it seems like there's a lot more kids that need help these days or have diagnoses or yada, yada, yada. It, that just doesn't seem like, it just seems weird, right? The conspiracy theorists or, or what have you. And we always say, like, it's not that there's so many more now. There's always been. We just didn't identify a lot of students. Absolutely. Um, how else would you kind of describe that to people if they, if they asked you that question? I think I would describe it in a similar way, because I think that there were always kids in classes who struggled. We just didn't know why. <laughs> right. And we attribute it to not working hard enough. They weren't getting the support at home. Their parents weren't making them do homework. They were lazy. And I remember when I was in high school, there had kids who went to a special class and they were all kind of labeled, what they labeled at that time as slow. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? That was the term that they used. And everybody, you were either in the mainstream or you were slow. Well, what does that mean to be slow? And so I think now that we're better able to kind of distinguish between attention issues, language-based weaknesses, autism spectrum disorder, now we know that these kids, or their brains are wired differently. It means that they have to be taught in a different way in order to be successful, and that there may be something going on biologically that impacts their ability to really pay attention, focus, (laughs) and access the curriculum in a traditional learning environment. So it's always been the case. We just didn't know how to support them because we didn't know why they were struggling. Right. And I think that that's like part of what the teachers actually seeing and the encouragement, you know, because they don't have that expertise to be like, well, it looks like a learning to like, I'm sure teachers are very hesitant to like want to talk to a parent, you know, about that. But there are resources out there that the school can provide an assessment, even if it's an educational one to determine, you know, well, let's dig into it a little bit deeper, right? But Sometimes we get, oh, well, just go to your pediatrician, right? And Or it's an attentional thing, and it'll go away. You know, Dr. Wilson, a lot of times teachers will know that something is up, but they cannot articulate, right? They're not neuropsychologists. And so in, instead of saying, hey, maybe we can do assessments here at the school, they'll say, go to your pediatrician, right? And I think that it's important for teachers to know, you know, the observations that you have 
are super helpful. Do you do some of some evaluations where there's teacher rating skills or are you just kind of strictly doing like what kind of assessments are you doing? Yeah, I would say that all of my evaluations include teacher rating forms if there are teachers who have been working with that student because they are with students most of the day. And so their observations are so valuable. And in addition to the rating forms, you want to also reach out to the teachers to speak to them for some context to what the rating forms are telling you. And so I think that that information, it is super helpful. We also do parent rating forms because it's not enough to get information about how a child is doing in that one-on-one session with me, which is ideal because we're minimizing distractions. There's no one else in the room. It's just me and one child, but it doesn't really mimic the real life environment. So we need that information from parents and teachers in order to know what's really going on and how struggles impact this child in their daily life. And I think that context is so important because so often we see assessments where rating skills are included and then there's no analysis. It's just kind of left there. And we always say like, look, we see these rating scales and there's like so many areas where mm-hmm. there's like, it definitely shows that there's dysfunction or that there's a deficit, but then there's no explanation, no recommendations. On the other side, maybe sometimes there is a context to say like, oh, well, like I put these on here, but it was because of this. Like, right. this important. Absolutely. And I think that that's really important because if I think about the example of a kid who's struggling with attention, some kids can come into a one-on-one session and do well on attention tests because you're providing the ideal environment. But that's not what attention looks like in the real world or in the classroom. So you have to give rating forms. You can't even really, you can't diagnose ADHD based on neuropsychological assessment. That will give us additional information, but rating forms are critical to making a diagnosis because for example, for ADHD, you have to see difficulties with attention, focus, hyperactivity, impulsivity in two or more environments so one environment is a testing session and that's not even you know that's two days so you need the home and you need the school those are the two environments that you want to get information about I think that's important for parents to know is that behavior is not just at school it is also important to take into consideration especially when we're looking at adaptive functioning you know executive functioning deficits or like you had said like ADHD it's not something that you know we could do an EKG or whatever you know like there's a process there's a whole kind of mechanism and it has so much more to do than with attention and I I think that's something that frustrates Amanda and I when we go into these IEP meetings is that the teachers want it to look a certain way, right? Like attentional deficit disorder needs to look like, well, the kid's hyper or this or that. And, you know, some people just internalize the hyperactivity and you really don't know that until you're analyzing the behaviors, right? Until you're really looking at it under a microscope that like, oh yeah, they do this, right? Or I give them two, three step commands and they get through step one and two. And then they're like, what the heck was number three, right? And I think that that's important for parents to kind of understand. Dr. Wilson, if people wanted more information about what you do, your practice, where can they go? They can go directly to my website. It's westlaneuro.com. And we have a contact information form that they can complete there. But they can read all about the evaluations, what they entail, what they look like, and some of the struggles that kids face and all the areas that we assess when we're doing our evaluations. 
Excellent. Well, for us, it's always very informative when we speak to somebody that is as passionate about advocating for students, not just within the classroom, but outside. So we were just so excited that we were finally able to connect with you. You were so patient. And then, of course, in true Mercury and retrograde style, we had this technical difficulty. So thank you for your patience. It was just wonderful to oh, have you so on. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Thank Wilson. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no. Yeah. Thank you for your utmost patience with us. <laughs> All right, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.